Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to call your attention uh, to a passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18. Now I read from the New King James Version, so it'll essentially be the same as any good version you have. If it reads substantively different, throw that thing out you got and go get yourself a good Bible. <laughs> Mine reads as follows, and beginning at verse 41, going to verse 44, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. There is the sound of abundance of rain. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes from this subject. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? I cannot help but draw parallels between what Israel was going through in Elijah's time and what we are going through in our country now. Israel, as you know, during this time was led by some very, very wicked leaders who did not regard God at all. I mean, Jezebel was a Syrophoenician witch who polluted the temple of God with all of these foreign idols and, and, and this perverse behavior. And sadly, Ahab, I'm not sure what was wrong with him, but maybe he had a little dementia or something, but he went along with everything pretty much Jezebel wanted. He was a weak man. In fact, you all remember the story that when he looked at Naboth's vineyard, decided that he wanted that vineyard, and and went down and told Naboth, I'll buy it from you. Naboth said, I'm not, I'm not selling my family's legacy. He said, we want this. We want to keep it in our family. Ahab went back home to the palace and got depressed and got in bed and just moaned. And Jezebel came and said, what's wrong with you? He said, I want Naboth's vineyard and he won't sell it to me. And she said, you're the king. You can have whatever you want. And she set some men down there and killed Naboth and took his vineyard. And then Ahab was happy. I mean, weak. And, and willing to go along with the wickedness that had entered into the children of Israel's relationship with God. So now, so she brings into the temple, mind you, into the temple such wickedness that it's hard for us to fathom it. She brought in what the Bible calls perverted persons. They set up booths where they had ritual homosexual relations 
as a worship ritual to Baal in the temple of God. They were having all kinds of things going on in the temple, orgies. They, they brought in all these, these pagan deities and, and decorated the temple with them. And not only that, they were taking their children and they were offering their children up to the gods of Molech in order to have fertility, in order to have a better economy, if you will, to, to, to see a better harvest. They would put their children on the hot, burning statue of Molech and burn their children alive. And Jezebel was glorying in all this. She thought this was just great. And of course, we know that you see all of this played out in Josiah's revival because he comes and, and tears us this mess up. He finds the word of God and begins to read the word of God and says, we are wrong. We have not been serving God. He cleans up the temple. He tears down the, the, all the pagan altars. He goes and has his men read the word of God throughout the land. And revival breaks out in the land after all the wickedness that had been introduced by several kings, Ahab and Jezebel being perhaps the worst of them. And you know, it strikes me that right now what we need in the United States of America is a revival of the Word of God. We need to put the Word of God back central in the lives of our people again. We are living in such a secular culture that since the early 1960s, when they outlawed reading the Bible in public schools, and then they outlawed prayer, that since that time there's been a move to keep the Word of God out of the picture. We don't want to hear you quote the Bible. We don't want to hear about prayer. In fact, when there are natural disasters, you hear people saying, we don't need your prayers and thoughts. We just need money. We just need action. And they don't know that it's prayer to God that guides our actions. It's the power of God that makes it possible for us to respond to the terrible things that happen in the earth today. And we're living in a culture where people are saying, no, 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 no. Anything but God. I'm amazed at how close we are to where they were. Did you all know that the Satanic Temple sued the state of Texas after they restricted abortion because they said not only is abortion a reproductive right of women, they said, but to restrict it is a violation of our religious rights because we see abortion as part of our religious ritual. Truth. Every time a baby is aborted, we celebrate. I mean, it's amazing how close we are. And, and homosexual orgies in the temple of the living God. And we've got churches marrying people of the same gender and blessing those relationships. And we've got people telling us that we're wrong and we're bigoted to believe what the Bible says. We've got circumstances. I don't know whether you all are familiar with this. Talk about offering your children up. But you all probably heard the story of this young child, seven years old, down in Texas, whose mother decided that since he wanted to be a girl, not a boy, she would begin to administer or authorize administering hormones to him in preparation for his castration. 
and the, and the father's objection uh, was deemed by some to be child abuse. I'm amazed at how close we are. Elijah knew what to do. He challenged it. And see, we got a lot of people who get upset about this. But the Bible I read says you can't simply let evil run its course. You got to challenge it. Somebody's got to speak up against it. Oh, 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 Bishop Jackson, I'm afraid we might offend somebody. Well, be offended then. Somebody's got to do something. You got, you got, you got pastors, 20, 20, only 25% of the pastors actually believe what the word of God says about these things. And then according to George Barnum, only 10% of that 25% are willing to talk about it because they say, if I say anything, I'll offend some of my members. I said to one pastor, a very prominent church in Virginia, I said, well, you know, we, you just have to preach the word. I said, you know, abortion is the murder of an unborn child. And the pastor said, now you got to understand, some of my members are Democrats and believe in the right of free choice. I said, well, get them saved too. <laughs> Elijah confronted them. He met the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. He said, look, we're going to have it out. And my brothers and sisters, it's time to have it out. And I'm not talking about violence. We can't invite people up on Mount Carmel and hit them with swords. Okay? I'm not talking about that. Let's be clear. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought under obedience to Christ. And people have criticized me. I'm sure never this church won't, that won't happen. But, but people have said, you know, he's too involved in politics. And I say, listen, was Moses being a politician when he went down into Egypt and God said through his lips, let my people go? You see, we forget that there is a prophetic tradition in Christianity that requires that we confront things that are wrong. So was Moses being political? No, Moses was obeying Almighty God. Was Elijah being political when he confronted Ahab and Jezebel? You know, he met Ahab out in the wilderness and, and Ahab said, oh, you are he that troubles Israel. And Elijah turned it right around on him and said, no, you're the one who troubles Israel and God's going to judge you for it. Was Nathan being political? Friend of King David. When he went and told him that story about the, the rich man who stole the one little ewe lamb from the poor man, and David heard that story, was convicted and said, where is this man? This man should die. And Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, you're the man. You did it. Was that being political? Was Samuel being political when he told Saul, you have disobeyed Almighty God and God no longer wants you to be king. He's chosen somebody after his own heart to be king. Now we're going to either read the whole Bible or just throw half of it out. But the Bible I read says that God is concerned about the issues of the day and the culture and the direction in which we're moving. Was John the Baptist being political when he told Herod, Herod, you have married your brother's wife in violation of the law. And that woman wanted to kill him for it and finally took his head off. 
No, we have a responsibility to cry aloud and spare not. You know, if you'll forgive me, I'm sure all of you know this, so forgive me for saying the obvious, but Jesus didn't say, you are the salt of the church. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And we know that the world lies in darkness, so he couldn't have been saying, as long as you go to church and keep, you know, live right and, and, and go to church all the time and, you know, don't, don't concern yourself with what the world is doing. But your children have to grow up in that world. And your grandchildren have to grow up in that world. If you've observed the acceleration of things over the last 10 years, what do you think life is going to be like when your grandchildren are grown if things don't change? What kind of world do you think they're going to live in as Christians? Will they, able, will they be able to work anywhere other than for themselves? Given the condition of the corporate world today that has wholly rejected God and wholly embraced the paganism of this world? It used to be that business people did business and stayed out of politics. Now they all want to declare, I might, one of my children works at a big company. Says she went to work one day to her surprise. They had decorated the whole place for, for coming out day. And wanted all the employees to celebrate. Wanted to give everybody a tag to wear to show that you were a supporter of everybody coming out. They're letting everybody off work early to go to a coming out rally so all the gays, all the lesbians could come out. Isn't this wonderful? My daughter left and went home. So what's it going to be like when your grandchildren work there? I mean, will they even be allowed to work if, if they say, oh, yes, I'm a, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I, I go to church. And you've got preachers who want to tell me, oh, no, no, that's not my job. I, 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 I don't deal with all of that. Then you are setting your children, your grandchildren, ultimately your church members up for persecution. I knew a pastor once who had that attitude. And then one of his members got into trouble with the mayor of a city because he had written a book, had nothing to do with his job, had written a book proclaiming that marriage was a union between one man and one woman and was going around the churches affirming God's plan for the family. And the mayor found out about it and fired him. They ultimately had to compensate him. And by the way, here again, to show we're talking about the world of ideas. We're talking ideas matter. Principles matter. So, now, this may or may not matter and perhaps shouldn't matter, but it so happens that the mayor of the city was black and the person he fired was black. So there, was no, there were no racial implications. This was simply about a secular leader wanting to persecute a Christian even though none of that had come into his job. If it's like that now, what do you think is coming unless the situation turns around. So, so look, what, what, what do we do? Well, obviously, we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray, number one, that God would raise up bold, uncompromising, unapologetic, prophetic voices to speak into this culture. Because I'm convinced that we've got more power as the body of Christ than we know. But we don't know because we won't go. The Bible says, you that make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. And give him no rest 
until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I really believe that God has given us this nation as a gift, and I'm not giving the Lord any rest until America is a praise in the earth. I want America to be a nation whose God is the Lord, and I'm not letting all the devils in hell take that away from us. Praise God for your pastor and, and Andrew Womack and, and others that I know. But we need to pray because without mentioning any names, we got a bunch of weak-kneed, lily-livered, half-scared, cowardly preachers out there who are afraid of their shadows. I might lose some members. I, say, I used to say, look, if anything I say offends you, wait in the car because I'm not going to stop. We've got to understand, and the same is true for you. You've got to speak up because, see, look, either it's my job to protect myself and to provide for my own security in the sense that not say anything that will get me in trouble, or that's God's job. And the Lord said he would never leave me nor forsake me. He said he'd be with me always, even to the ends of the earth. He said... Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You know, every time somebody says something nasty about me, I've learned. I used to get upset about it, but now I say, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Great is my reward in heaven. And I've had everything said from he's not black because I don't go along with this, 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 this liberal, leftist, racist orthodoxy to I, I, other things I won't even repeat. I don't care. Because they don't have a heaven to send me to or a hell to put me in. God is the one who saved me. Jesus is the one who called me and died on the cross for my sins. And every single one of us owes everything to him. Oh, do I have a witness in here? Let me just tell you, can I just be blunt with you? I don't owe anything to the Democrat Party. I don't owe anything to the Republican Party. I don't owe anything to Barack Obama or Joe Biden. I don't owe anything to George Bush. I don't owe anything whatsoever to Donald Trump. I owe Jesus everything, and I'm going to stand for what he stands for no matter what. I pray that God, God, raise up prophets who will speak to this nation the truth that it needs to hear instead of these lies that are being repeated. Amen. I tell people all the time, you know, well, now wait a minute, Bishop Jackson, you got to admit there is such a thing as racism. I admit that there's such a thing as sin and it manifests itself in many ways. But I tell you what, I'm not admitting that anything can stop me. Because the moment I do that, I'm saying, well, God's not quite big enough for that. He can help me, but not, not, he can't really help me for that. You know, for that, I'm kind of really on my own. I'm a victim. Oh, poor me. No, I'm more than a conqueror because he loved me. I believe we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we're on God's side. 
And we as the body of Christ have got to stop letting people divide us over race and over denomination. The Bible I read says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is in all, through all, and over you all. And that, that, that if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, that he rose the third day, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter the color of our skin or where we came from or what our background is. We are one in Christ. People running around teaching us to hate one another over the color of our skin. I say, you're going to have a hard time when you get to heaven. Because the Bible says every nation, tongue, people will be there. Heaven's not a a place of, of division. It's a place of unity, and we've got to learn to practice that right here and right now. So we've got to raise up prophets who will boldly proclaim the truth to a nation that desperately needs it. And then we've got to pray that God would open the hearts of people to receive it. You know, people say to me sometimes, man, why do, you, why do you go so hard? Because they're coming so hard at us. I mean, these people are not playing. Do you hear me? They are not playing. I've been banned from Twitter. I've been banned from YouTube. Yeah, I gotta take those as a badge of honor. And not because I said anything vulgar or hateful or profane, but because one time I pointed out during the Sri Lankan attacks on churches by radical Muslims that, and somebody criticized the Christians and said, well, they kind of deserved it and mentioned that they were doing things on, in, with evangelism that they shouldn't have been doing, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, wait a minute. They may not be meeting your standard for evangelism, But it is these Muslims who are killing people while they're in their churches worshiping peacefully. I got banned for that. That was considered hate speech. Now, the guy who almost justified the murder of Christians, he's okay. But me who stood up for the Christians and said it was the Muslims who were killing Christians. Oh, wait a minute, Bishop Jackson, you went too far. No, no, no. We, we've got to pray that God will open people's hearts to hear the truth and receive it. And say, instead of saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, that's too much. That's, you know, I, I, you all know I'm in love with Jesus. I mean, but you know, when Jesus preached one of the hardest sermons he ever preached, he said to people, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me, but my flesh is food indeed, and my, my blood is drink indeed. And people say, what is he talking, huh? That's it, we're done, we're gone. You know, you notice Jesus didn't run in front of him and say, wait a minute, y'all, wait a minute, you misunderstood. I didn't mean that. Please let me explain. He looked to his disciples and said, you all going to? Because what he knew was they weren't leaving because he said that. They were leaving because their hearts were never receptive in the first place. And the first excuse they had, they were grabbing it. We got to pray that God will give us receptive hearts to receive the word of God, the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Because I tell you what, the devil's not playing. Anytime you tell people that you've got a right as the state to tell your young child, four years old, five years old, six years old, and that's what's happening, that you are wrong. He, he, doesn't, he is not necessarily a boy. 
she's not necessarily a girl. You gotta wait. Nobody really knows. You'll figure that out later. I mean, if that's not enough to stir us up and make us realize people are trying to take our children and trying to use them for their own agenda. And then folks get mad at me because I come at things so hard because I'm simply not willing to be, to, to be, be milquetoast in light when I know what is at stake. I mean, and let me tell you something. If, if people messing with children that way doesn't make somebody angry, something's wrong with you. Pray that God will open people's hearts. I, I had some folks say nasty things about me one time because when I was a young father, my children are all grown now, but when I was a young man in Boston, there was a group outside of an elementary school passing out homosexual literature. And I found out about it, and I had an organized group, and we went up to counter protest and to say, you can't give that to children. It was glad. The Gay Lesbian uh, Alliance uh, def uh, something defense. And they said to me, the parents won't tell them the truth. We're going to do it. And so we stood there and stood them down and said, no, you're not going to do that. Not with us here. Now, we didn't attack them physically or anything, but we just tried to interfere with what they were doing. And I later went on the air and talked about that. I said, you know what? It's a good thing that I didn't walk up and find somebody trying to give my child literature. Because even though I'm a man of God full of the love of God, I think we might have had a problem. Amen. And I, I was told, oh, see, 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 that just proves that you are a hater and a bigot. I tell you what, you start messing with my child, you're gonna find out. I do know how to get down. Being a Christian now has not made me a fool. But you see, that's where we are. We, we've got to stop apologizing and backing up for who we are and what we believe and start standing up for it and asking God to open the hearts of people who instead of being offended, will embrace it. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say to me who got mad at me at first. I had a young man who was following me during a campaign. And it was what's called a tracker. If you're not familiar with, with uh, uh, inside politics, what they said, put trackers on candidates in order to find them, catch them doing, saying something that can be used against them. The other side assigns you trackers to follow you around and record everything you say. And one of these young men who was following me around, recording me, I mean, my team just didn't know what to do with him. I said, just be nice to him, love on him, feed him if they're hungry, just bless him. I'm not concerned about saying anything. I mean, anything I say they don't like, I'll probably be proud of anyway. So I'm not worried about that. Four years later, that young man wrote me and said, you changed my life. Four years later. He said, I'm now serving God. He said, because what I found was that when I went back and listened to the people I worked for, all, everything you said was true and everything they said were lies. He said, and it started to get to me and I started to examine myself. He said, I've left all of that now and I'm seeking God's will for my life. You don't know whose life you might be changing by speaking up without apology.
Oh, God, give people receptive hearts. And for us as the body of Christ, Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your mighty power which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named and made him to be the head over all things, all principalities and power, to the church, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We've got to wake up. We, we've got to show the world we know who we are, and we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we got to ask God, pray, Lord God, Give us the faith to bind Satan. Because, you know, the Bible says the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of people so they can't see straight. Look, can I say it? He's got them blinded by race. He's got them blinded by party. He's got them blinded by their friends that they want to stay in tight with. He's got them blinded by all kinds of things that they're looking at. They're looking at everything but the word of God. Lord, take the blinders off their eyes so they can see what it means to be a Christian. So they can see where we're supposed to stand. When I was in Boston, I had one of my closest calls with the nation of Islam because uh, I, a certain minister was the imam over it. And the nation of Islam, of course, is under Louis Farrakhan. And frankly, almost all the black ministers bowed and kowtowed to them. And oh, yeah, they're for the black community. And I wouldn't do it. I said, I'm not standing with no Farrakhan. I said, Farrakhan's a false prophet. Farrakhan's an anti-Semite. Farrakhan's a hater. Farrakhan doesn't know God. They said, aren't you going to the Million Man March? I said, I wouldn't follow Farrakhan across the street, let alone to Washington, D.C. I'm not going anywhere following him. Well, that made them angry. They showed up at my church and filled the whole row and stared me down. And I just preached that much harder. I mean, I preached like a man on fire. I said, thank you, Jesus. I got them now. I got them right where I want them. And I tell you what, when the Holy Ghost hit, I could see the imam saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> glory to God, glory to God. Listen, saints, we, we've got to ask God to take the blinders off of people's eyes. I had Jehovah's Witnesses show up to my house one day, and they came, and I'm always glad to see them because when I see them, get ready for some preaching. <laughs> and they opened the door. They had a young, looked like must have been a neophyte with them. And he asked me a question, and I just sat right in. I said, well, first of all, let me explain something. You all are a false cult. You don't know Jesus Christ. You think he's the archangel Michael. I said, he's God come in the flesh. I said, you have no relationship with him. You don't know him. I know him. I love him. He's in me. He lives with me. He saved me. He died on the cross for my sins. He was raised on the third day, bodily resurrected with all power in his hands. And I began to lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a little neophyte was looking at me, just mesmerized. And the guy was, saw, saw him and said, let's go. And, you know, it was like an FBI sting. They came driving and stopped the car over to get in, get in. <laughs> you came to the wrong place. <laughs> Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes that they can see the truth. 
We're not trying to hurt people. We're not trying to hate people. We don't hate anybody. But the Bible says in, in uh, Psalm uh, 119, verses 104 and 128, because all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right, I hate every false way. We don't hate people. We love people. But we hate falsehood, and we've got to stand up against it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, listen. <laughs> I've had people jump on me. I said, you know, I, I had one guy tell a friend of mine, it was a mayor of a city, and I'd taken some positions on some things, and, and they were talking about me, and he said, this friend was an admirer, said, what do you think about Bishop Jackson? And the mayor said, black mayor, mayor said, he doesn't even like black people. And the person just laughed in his face. He said, wow, that's weird, because, you know, he's married to a black woman, and he's got black children. I just, just stupid. <laughs> Look, when Barack Obama got elected, I prayed, and, 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 and let me, can, can, you, please hear me out of the sincerity of my heart. I prayed for that man to tears, to tears, because I knew the potential that he had to do so much good for this country. But because of the things he said when he was running, I wouldn't vote for him. Because I didn't agree with anything he stood for. And I got criticized because, well, you know, you're not being loyal to the black community. I said, Dude, the, the, the black community is my God now? I'm loyal to Jesus. And people don't want to hear this because, see, they're caught up in race. They're caught up in the color of their skin. Oh, I, I want somebody who looks like me. So does that mean if the devil appears looking like you, you're going to go along with him? I want somebody who thinks like me. I want somebody who shares my values. I want somebody who loves the Lord to lead this country. That's what I'm looking for. And let me just say, my, your first loyalty as a Christian and my first loyalty, it's not to your wife or your husband. It's not even to your children. It's not to your job. It's not to your career. It's not even to you. Our first loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who paid the price for us. And we owe everything to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to prophesy. We need to prophesy. Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel and said, I tell you what, let's make this easy. Let the God who answers by fire be God. You know, we need to, we need to, we need to prophesy. Lord, answer by fire. And when I mean fire, I don't mean fire that falls out of heaven and licks up the altar like that. I mean, but the fire of God that reveals, you know, fire purifies and reveals, that reveals what the truth is. See, when I got saved, the Lord jumped on me big time about this racial stuff, big time. Because I was a child of the 60s, I was caught up in it. And God jumped on me big time and said, son, your identity is not in the color of your skin. Your identity is not in your ancestry. That's part of how I've designed you, but your identity is in me. And you start making those distinctions, what you're doing is you're creating an idol that you'll put before me. And I've seen Christians do it. Put their race, put their political affiliation before God. And, put, and just, just justify anything so they can stay in good with whatever crowd they're in. 
I'll tell you what, the only crowd I'm interested in staying good in is Jesus Christ and the crowd that's with him. Hallelujah. It's us as a family of Christ Jesus that matters because one day each of us is going to stand before God. And you're not going to be able to, does anybody really think you'll be able to stand before God and say, well, Lord, I was down with the struggle. I was politically correct. Oh, yeah, 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 Lord, I know you would have wanted me to do that, but you know, I couldn't do that. Because, you know, my folks. And God's going to say, your folks. Who are your folks? Well, you know what Jesus said? His mama and his brothers came to see him. I'm not talking about other Jews. His mama and his brothers came to see him. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? But those who do the will of my father in heaven. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, people don't realize he was teaching not only a lesson about being good, he was teaching a lesson about not looking down on people because they're different than you. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And he told a story that flipped the script and showed the Samaritan helping a Jew. And he said, which one was his neighbor? He said, well, I guess the one who helped him. He said, then you go and do likewise. In other words, he was saying, so you stop looking down on Samaritans. And you treat them right. We, we, listen, only the fire of God will distinguish between what is truly good and what is truly evil. Because we're living, living in Isaiah five times. Where, where we're putting evil for good and good for evil. Darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. People are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That's the time we live in now. And don't, you can't tell them any different. Because they're convinced the whole university system, the entertainment culture, the media is all imbued with an anti-Christian mindset. That's the world we are living in now. But I'm going to tell you something. Prophesying fire means this. God is going to speak and is going to separate the gold from the dross. That God is going to let himself be known in this nation. That this nation was ordained by him is a providential nation and not, God is not going to let the devil take it away from him. The Bible says that the gifts and calling of God are without revocation. God gave us this nation and if you and I will stand together instead of stop letting these secularists divide us by race and denomination and this reason and that reason, if you and I as the body of Christ will stand together, all the devils in hell can't take this nation away from God. Now, when, when, when Isaiah, when Elijah, that is, said to Ahab, said, told to his, told, uh, said to his servant, go tell Ahab, I hear the sound, or there is a sound of abundance of rain. There was not a sign of rain anywhere. Because he went out and prayed, and when he prayed, he said, said to his servant, you see anything? No, I see, I see nothing. So where was the sound? The sound wasn't out there. It was in here. It was in here. And my question is, what's resonating in your heart in here? The last thing you heard on, on MSNBC or CNN or Fox or the word of God? Amen. Do you hear what I hear? See, here, this is what I hear. I hear God saying, I'm not through with the United States of America. I hear God saying, I've got a plan for this nation and my plan will be fulfilled. 
I hear God saying, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. I see God saying, I will turn this nation into a pro-life nation if you'll just trust me. I hear God saying, I will turn this nation into a nation that recognizes my plan for human beings rather than the devil's plan, where men are men and women are women and marriage are what I made it to be rather than what the Supreme Court says it is. I got news for you. God is the final say over these matters, not the Supreme Court, not the Congress, not the president, nobody but Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's time for us to stand up for Jesus. It's time for us to prophesy the fire and prophesy the rain and let the power of God sweep this mess out of here. I'm not going to have it taking over my country. Glory to God. I got a promise from the Lord that there will be another awakening in America and God is going to bring the American people back to him. Hallelujah. I plead the blood of Jesus over America. I plead the blood of Jesus over your family. I plead the blood of Jesus over our communities. I plead the blood of Jesus over every institution that is polluting this country right now. And the blood that Jesus shed for me, way back on Calvary, the blood that gives us our strength from day to day, will never lose its power. For it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives us our strength from day to day will never lose its power. We cannot lose with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I better quit. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Look, he put running in my feet. He put clapping in my hands. He put shouting in my voice. He put joy in my heart. He put peace in my mind. Do I have a witness here? Has he done something for you? Then he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of the praise. He's worthy of the worship. He's worthy of the honor. He's worthy of the sacrifice. Glory to God. Do you hear what I hear? I hear the rain falling. I hear God moving all over this great nation. Moving in you, moving in me. Let him move. You'd be amazed at what God will do when you begin to stand up and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. You'll get caught up like Elijah was and start saying what you don't have the strength to say in your own, but what God gives you the strength to say. And God will work in you in mighty and miraculous ways if you let him. Now is the time, now is the hour. This is the moment that God has chosen you for. Answer the call. And you're gonna hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Your grandchildren are not going to grow up in a secularized country that hates God and hates Christianity. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
We're going to open these schools open so that, up, so that nobody has to send their child to a school that's going to teach their child. Nobody knows whether you're a boy or a girl. You got you to gotta figure that out. No, they don't have to figure that out. That's what mommy and daddy are there for, to tell them who they are. Nobody's going to have their children strapped and trapped in those kinds of schools or have to send your children to universities that are going to spend all their time trying to undo everything you've tried to do throughout that child's life. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I declare that it will not be that America is a nation whose God is the Lord. Is there anybody here today, anybody watching online that does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because everything I preach to you depends upon him. Without him, everything I said is meaningless. He really is the answer. And just have the answers, he is the answer. Our founding fathers almost all knew that. And throughout our history, most of us have known that. We're now coming to a point where many are telling us, no, that was a lie, and we don't accept that. And we've got to push back and say, no, it's the truth. And we can't make you accept it, but you can't make us stop saying it either. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you don't know that he died on the cross for your sins. You don't know he is God come in the flesh. Or if you have heard that and everything I've said here has kind of touched your heart, now is the time to make a commitment. I got saved on December 22nd, 1976. After seeking God for several months, he invaded my bedroom and revealed himself to me. Listen, we are not following an empty religion. We, are, we have a relationship with the true and living God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not talking about ritual. We're talking about reality. And if you don't know him that way, he wants you. He loves you, has a plan for you. Those of you watching online right now, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, we're going to pray a prayer together of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know all of you in here in this room, I take it, have. If you haven't, pray this prayer out of your heart and God will save you right here, right now on the spot because we need him. You need him. Your family needs him. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need him. I want you to pray this out of your own hearts. Those of you watching online, pray this out of your own hearts and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all my sins. He paid the price for me. He went down into hell and rose again on the third day with all power in his hands to be my king my savior my lord i accept him as my lord and savior i submit myself to your authority lord fill me with your holy spirit lead me guide me to do what only i can do by being led by you no one else has the calling you have on my life except me. 
I accept that calling. Help me to fulfill it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. God bless you. May heaven smile upon you. And may you be a blessing. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.